Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown, joined by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? Oh, Chip, I'm doing just just fine, I think is a good way to put it. You know, we, uh, we had a little bit of a scary work weekend, um, and, you know, just kind of imagining what type of fallout on our message board would come if Texas did lose on the road to Texas Tech. But the good news is the Longhorns pulled it out. So I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. How Thank about you? you, Sam Ellinger, because mm-hmm. we would still be uh, probably cleaning up the food fight that would be <laughs> happening over on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7, as is typically the case when your team loses when they're an 18-point favorite. But Taylor, against all odds, and I asked you before we started recording this episode of the flagship podcast what you would compare Texas winning after being down by 15 with 3 minutes and 13 seconds left to play and Sam Ellinger going 10 of 11 passing from that point on with touchdown passes to Brennan Eagles, Josh Moore, a two-point conversion pass to Brennan Eagles, and a perfectly executed onside kick uh, by Cameron Dicker, recovered by Malcolm Epps. I would say it's equivalent to winning some form of lottery. Either it's a scratch-off ticket or something. I don't know that it's the Powerball, but it was it was a pretty good size scratch off ticket, I think, Taylor, because I know I was writing a story talking about how you could put the Texas season in the disappointment column in game two of Mad Dog 2020. But as Sam Ellinger said, this game exemplifies 2020. The unthinkable, the unpredictable happens. Texas wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's probably like a $50 winning uh, scratch off because okay. – 50 bucks. Being, yeah, being favored by that many points on the road. And uh, as you mentioned, being down by 15 points with three minutes left in the game, needing to force overtime when you're that heavy of a favorite. I would say, yes, it's Texas is very fortunate for the outcome of that game. However, I wouldn't say, sit here and be like, oh, that was a million-dollar jackpot lottery. It was like, no, this should have not been a lottery ticket at all to begin with. So. <sighs> I'm just going to, I will leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so Texas is 1-0 in the Big 12, and mercifully so because Oklahoma was upset at home in their Big 12 opener and by K-State. And Taylor, what did I tell you? When the revised schedule came out for the Big 12, Oklahoma got no favors facing arguably the four best defenses in the Big 12 with a first-time starter at quarterback, K-State, Chris Kleiman, guys won national championships at the FCS level. Great defensive mind. And granted, they lost the week before to Arkansas State and gave up 35, but Arkansas State emptied the trick, playbook, whatever. And and so Oklahoma State opens at home with a loss. And and now they go on the road to face Iowa State. And that's not going to be easy. That was my Big 12 upset of the year before the season started. Mm-hmm. Iowa State over OU and Ames. We'll get to that a little bit later and love it or leave it. But Texas, Taylor, now we have to help the folks listening to this flagship podcast determine, was that Texas looking past Texas Tech to bigger and better things? 
feeling comfortable after beating the snot bubbles out of UTEP 59-3 to and then hearing how great they are and how perfectly they played and how quickly the offense got into rhythm, blah, blah, blah. Are they – was that an anomaly or was that who Texas is? And we got bigger problems to talk about. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you weigh in on that um, before I weigh in on that. You know, Chip, it's it's kind of it's a little bit alarming, I would say, if you're a Texas fan, because the one thing that we've talked about, you know, I feel like in depth on the flagship podcast leading up to the season is one of the biggest knocks on Tom Herman's teams since he took over at Texas has been the Longhorns almost play either up or down to their level of competition. And, you know, there's the games like the UTEP where obviously they they did what they were supposed to do, beating one of the worst teams in FBS college football from last season. I mean, that was a no-brainer. But when it comes to, you know, bigger games, I feel like Texas really has always never really achieved what they should achieve when they're heavily favored or when they're heavily not favored they surprise everybody and you're like, where has this team been all season long? Like, when is it, what's it going to take to get this type of consistency out of a Texas football team? And I really feel like I I would, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm, I'm a little alarmed, honestly, at this point, because Tom Herman is in his fourth year as head coach, you know, he has all upperclassmen. um, I mean, you know, just sprinkled throughout the roster, one of the most veteran rosters in college football, both from his starters and also his backups, too. I mean, there are so many players that got a lot of playing experience last season, probably before they were ready. But now, you know, they're in the mix and they're they're available and actually not just a last resort type of option. And for them to give up one of the highest scoring games in football and the program history, you know, with a whole new defensive staff that was hired to fix those issues, to fix the defense so they don't missed have tackles. to be in the shoot-off. Yeah, the missed tackles, just the not looking fundamentally sound, not wrapping up when they're tackling. I mean, just the, the list goes on. If I'm a Texas fan, I'm sitting here wondering, like, is this ever going to change under Tom Herman as the head coach? Because this is his, his squad. These are players he recruited. These are coaches he handpicked after he got a reset. And Texas still appears to be, you know, kind of playing up or down to their opponents. So maybe it was just first row game jitters. I don't know. You know, Tom Herman had said that it was really hot. So that was kind of um, a little, you know, with a shortened off season, everything that was a little bit of a reason that led to some of the fatigue, um, especially on defense and needing to rotate so much. But I, I'm not, I'm not feeling all uh warm and fuzzy inside if I'm a Texas fan um, when it comes to if this team really has taken that next step based off of the showing that they put up in Lubbock. Right. I said on this very flagship podcast last week, if Texas has the kind of player leadership and maturity that they're going to need to win a Big 12 title, they should start to be playing to their own standard Mm -hmm. Uh, in Lubbock in their first road trip of the season can they treat it like a a road trip and 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 so it was interesting because obviously Texas held a 10-point lead four different times and I think they thought that Tech was going to go away yeah and then their own terrible mistakes and we'll get into that because with TCU coming in TCU is also coming off a loss uh, like OU a loss at home they lost Iowa State 
uh, and we'll we'll get into where TCU also gave up uncharacteristic chunk plays on defense. But Texas has a lot to fix this week, and it's not just the defense. The defense was terrible and missed tackles all over the place. They did it was it was good and evil in every phase for Texas. Every the offense made plays, made mistakes. Special teams scored a touchdown, gave up a touchdown. The defense had two interceptions that led to touchdowns and gave up terrible touchdowns with missed tackling and um, especially the Sir Roderick Thompson 75-yarder. There were four Longhorns over by that sideline, and I don't know what Jacoby Jones was doing. He had a clean shot and and didn't he, no, he didn't take the angle to cut off the sideline. But uh, Texas has to get all this stuff fixed. You mentioned some of the reasons that Tom Herman gave for the defense struggling. The, the heat, the lack of conditioning, the missed tackling because of a lack of a, a spring, and, and not tackling the catch, which they are absolutely going to have to do as they face the better offenses in this league. But I thought the most interesting, Taylor, was the lack of humility. He was very adamant after the game on Saturday in his postgame press conference that I hope this humbles some players on our team who thought it was going to be easy after the, the UTEP win. And then he really went in on that again on Monday. And when I asked him for a tangible example of the lack of humility that he was seeing, he was like, Oh no, that, that was an assumption on my part based on all the lovey dovey social media messages that my team's been receiving since they beat UTEP 59 to three. Either way, um, you're playing a team in TCU where you've lost five of the last six, and Sam Ellinger had arguably his worst game as a college player against TCU last year when Texas had a third-quarter lead and then Sam threw three of four interceptions down the stretch, and Texas lost by 10 in mm-hmm. Fort Worth. And so now everybody's got uh, – to, to refocus and we haven't even talked about the offensive line, which to me is a real problem here. Texas had 10 penalties in the Texas tech game and seven of them were on the offensive line, including two on the game tying drive at the end of regulation that Sam Ellinger was able to overcome. They, they had first and goal from the eight penalty first and goal from the 13 penalty first and goal from the 18 and Ellinger still found Josh Moore for the touchdown, and they found, and then he found Brennan Eagles for the two-point conversion pass and pushed the thing into overtime. But, Taylor, there's some problems on the offensive line. I've been writing about it in the Insider for a few weeks now, saying that they might need to get Derek Kerstetter back out to right tackle. We'll see. Jake Majors, the freshman center, is the guy that would have to really step up there Uh, And I don't know that that's what you want to have a freshman center going up against Gary Patterson's defense. Something tells me it'll, it'll still be Derek Kerstetter this week. Yeah. I mean, Texas has had to rely on true freshman offensive linemen way too much over the last decade. I mean, you ask anybody that has ever knows anything about football, especially coaches, the positions that you ideally in the college want a red shirt our offensive linemen and quarterbacks, if you can at any cost, because the reality is it's a totally different game. And so to have a true freshman, and this is not a knock on Jake Majors at all, you know, if he's doing enough in practice to even be in this discussion, it shows he's legit. Um, 
but do you want your only true freshman offensive lineman to be the one that just so happens to touch the ball every single time that the ball is snapped? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's an ideal situation for Texas, but as you mentioned, Chip, you know, seven of 10 penalties on the offensive line, including, you know, down the stretch, those were from veteran players. It was Denzel Okafor, a fifth year senior and Derek Kerstetter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Okafor had three penalties yeah. in this game and two of them were in late in the game when Texas was trying to get some momentum going on offense. Yeah. And then Derek Kerstetter also um, involved with that. Those are two seniors. I mean, that's not what you want too. So this is going to be, I don't know what, what you do. I mean, obviously we're not at the practices. Um, we haven't been able to see Jake majors yet in person just because of how weird this offseason was, we didn't get our typical, you know, open to media practices that we normally will get, you know, in fall camp and stuff. But this is, you know, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, what what is the, you know, do you feel that Jake Majors will be ready based off of anything that you've heard from your sources? Well, my gut instinct is you've got Iowa State. I mean, you've got uh, TCU this week and then you've got Oklahoma my gut instinct is they will stick with the current lineup and try and get it fixed mm-hmm. because there have been good moments, but there's just been wild inconsistency. And as Sam Ellinger told us uh, this week, when we talked to him about the TCU game, he said they're having some communication issues about when the offensive line is IDing protections and when the running back is IDing protections and They've got to get that figured out because they did miss a blitz pickup that cost Sam a sack and they can't have that. And, and then they had issues even blocking three when Texas tech was just rushing three and dropping eight. And so lots of the, the good news is, and it really is good news is that that felt like a loss and the coaches can coach that way all week. They can really get into their players attention span here because those players know that there were a ton of mistakes and it almost cost them dearly. And, and then we'll see because TCU is a Sudoku puzzle for Texas and they've got to get this thing figured out because Gary will coach the mess out of his defense. His defense will be ready to go Saturday in Austin. And with Max Duggan who beat Texas last year, in Fort Worth by running for a touchdown and throwing for, for three others, he's going to be all kinds of fired up and comfortable playing Texas again, because it was one of his best games of the year last year. So I expect TCU. I mean, I saw Texas as a 13 point favorite early against TCU and I get it. TCU is one in six in one possession games dating to last year, but most of these wins over Texas have been more than one possession games. Now, the one time Texas won two years ago, they they needed Caden Stearns to intercept two passes to er, erase an early deficit, and then they ended up pulling away because at that time, oh my gosh, who was it? Uh, Sean? Uh, uh, Robinson. Yeah, right? Deshaun Robinson ended up turning the ball over, and that was the beginning of the end of his TCU career. But – this will not be easy, Taylor. So I think both both teams are going to have uh, practices that felt like a loss. TCU actually had one. Texas just had one that had a win that felt like one. Yeah. This is going to be interesting, Chip, because, 
you know, I, and maybe this is just a coincidence, but I just feel like if, you know, when TCU plays Texas, they play like it's the Super Bowl of conference play. I mean, as you mentioned, Max Duggan last year, you know, he's, he was struggling going into the Texas game, substantially struggle, struggling to where people were wondering if he would be the starter or not. And then he plays Texas and it was like, oh, whoa, he just had his like coming out moment as a, what was he, a freshman, I think, yep. a true, true freshman, freshman last year. Yeah, it was like his coming out moment against Texas. But no, it was just, you know, they, the Horn Frogs, I feel like, just always seem to play up in a level that Texas, even at home, sometimes is difficult um, as, you know, to match. And even though Tom Herman did at least get one of those wins, you mentioned it, you were right. You know, it was a come from behind. Like Texas was down. Weren't they down at one point by 14 points? It was like 17 to three or something like that. Or was yeah, that? It was uh, 16 to three. And then yeah. Texas scored 28 unanswered. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those, you know, it's, I, I know a lot of, you know, if you talk to Tom Herman and stuff, he'll say, oh, most teams like play up to Texas. And that is probably true. But I just feel like, Gary Patterson has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for some reason when he does come in either in Austin or, you know, in Fort Worth when uh, he has to face the Longhorns. So if I'm a, if I'm on either side of the ball right now, I am only focusing on what we can do to fix this because if, if there's any type of overlooking or any type, as you mentioned, you know, um, too much cockiness or too high of confidence going into this game, we saw what happened with Texas Tech doing that. I think that Gary Patterson's TCU team could really embarrass Texas if their mind is not right entering this game. Well, we will be right back here on the flagship podcast. We are previewing Texas and TCU. I am Chip Brown along with Taylor Estes. Taylor, um, I don't know. Any other key points that you think need uh, to be pointed out, I'll, I'll get into some TCU information here. Max Duggan did come out off the bench for TCU. Matthew Downing got the start, and Gary Patterson was asked why he waited until halftime to get going because Duggan did have three touchdown passes in the second half. He also had a horrible interception when TCU had cut it to two points and were really had an opportunity to, to take – control of the game again he threw an interception that led to a touchdown and put TCU down um, by nine and they were never quite able to recover from that but it does look like Max Duggan will get the start Gary Patterson said he waited to bring him in uh, until halftime because he had missed about a month after going through big 12 COVID-19 protocols the heart testing and they found a previously undetected heart defect and so the good news is they found that and and Duggan's being treated for that but he he missed that start and it may have cost him uh, a win over Iowa State but Zach Evans is also an interesting uh, point you know obviously Texas fans and college football fans wanted to know what the heck's going on with Zach Evans the highly touted running back from Galena Park North Shore who had the recruiting uh, odyssey of all recruiting odysseys in the 2020 class but Gary Patterson said he did not play in the Iowa State game because he missed about a month from contact tracing due to COVID-19 protocols which seems high a month for contact tracing but 
nonetheless, he said he doesn't have all of the blitz pickup down, all the offense, everything else. So who knows? But it does sound like uh, TCU is going to get their uh, their stud defensive lineman back. Um, oh, and I absolutely should have written this down. Stand by. I'll, I'll have it right here. And, uh, of course, I should have it at my fingertips. Terrell Cooper. So Terrell Cooper, who did not play last week against Iowa State, Gary Patterson says he's their disruptor on the defensive line. He's their three-technique defensive tackle, and that will help the TCU defense tremendously, Taylor. So TCU and Quentin Johnston, another familiar name, 6'4", beautiful-looking wide receiver from Temple who was committed to Texas, scored a touchdown, a 37-yard touchdown for TCU in the opener. He is already having an impact for TCU as a true freshman. So um, TCU has a lot of and – the, and their defense. I mean, my gosh, Trevon Mooring, one of the best, all Big 12 safety. Garrett Wallow, all Big 12 linebacker who had a huge interception against Texas last year. And then Terrell Cooper and Cor, uh, Corey Bethley up there on the on the defensive line. I'm stunned, uh, probably as much as anyone that TCU allowed touchdown runs of 32, 49, and 75 yards rushing on the ground against Iowa State last week. Both Texas and TCU gave up a 75-yard touchdown run. So Gary Patterson was furious and said, if you're not accountable, you can't play in this defense, and we were not accountable. So he's going to coach the the mess out of his team, just like Matt Wells coached the mess out of his Texas Tech uh, team and had him ready for Texas. So I think this is going to be a thriller. I, I don't see – well, I, I see it being a, a tough game for Texas. Yes, I agree with that, Chip. And, you know, I think one of the, the positive news that Texas does have going into this game is that – they're expected to have Jake Smith back in the rotation after missing the UTEP game uh, with a hams- hamstring injury. I feel like that was like 20 years ago, a hamstring right, he, injury. He missed the UTEP game with a hamstring, and then he missed the Texas Tech game because he was sick. Yes, as you first reported that last week going into the Texas Tech game, uh, Texas has also been without Jordan Whittington, so their one and two starting slot receivers have been um, unavailable and were unavailable against Texas Tech. But with Texas, if Jake Smith is continue, I mean, I almost have to be like, if he continues to be, you know, illness free and uh, injury free, I think this could be something that, um, you know, I, while like Jake Smith did play some last year, it was a different type of style that they were kind of putting him in. Um, he wasn't a go to type of guy all the time. And so this will be more of a true test of TCU's defense against Jake Smith, probably the first time for real when they have to game plan against a position like the slot receiver in a Tom Herman offense. Um, and But it's going to be tough for Texas too, because as you mentioned, you know, Trayvon uh, Mooring and um, Ardarius Washington, they're two of the best safeties in the conference. They may be two of the best tandem safeties, you know, in college football this season, if they can, if they play up to the level and the ability that, I think most people believe that they have. So this is going to be a, it's not going to be an easy one. You know, this is not going to be a, oh, you know, Texas only saw Max Duggan for ha- uh, half against um, Iowa State. So who knows what they're going to throw on us. It's, it's going to be a, a full, you know, I think a full battle both on offense and defense for Texas. And 
Um, you know, early start, Texas hasn't always been great at those early start games. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, Chip. I mean, what, what is something that you think is going to be the biggest key in this game? Well, I think the biggest key is going to be getting um, Max Duggan uncomfortable. They, they just, they're not, they're not getting sacks. Now, Joseph Osai got pressure on Alan Bowman, hit him, needed to hit his arm. Uh, looked like he had a strip sack and a Juwan Mitchell scoop and score. Yeah. But then on, on replay, he hit him in the, in the shoulder and the arm still had the ball going forward. It was ruled an incomplete pass. And, and then Osai did get pressure again, hit Bowman, caused a incomplete pass, but no, no sacks in this game. And Taylor, TCU gave up seven sacks last week. Seven. I mean, that's almost as bad as Texas in the OU game oh, last year when they gave up nine. Almost, and, not yet, almost. Right, so <laughs> TCU's offensive line was a question mark coming in, and it still appears to be a question mark. So the Texas defense has got to get Max Duggan uncomfortable, get him, get him to play like a freshman, like they didn't get him to play uh, last year. And when he's in your house, you got to get him rattled. You got to get him to turn the ball over. And, and then the Texas offense has got to get its own offensive line figured out and establish a consistent running game because the way you, you grind a team like Texas Tech or any of these high-powered up-tempo offenses is you go on long drives of you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 plays that eat seven minutes and – that's how you wear out another team's defense and and keep their offense off the field. And we're not seeing that from, from Texas. I mean, obviously, they didn't have to grind it out against UTEP. They were able to score quickly. But right. they need to get back to that. And I know they don't want to count on Sam Ellinger in the run game as, as much as they have in the past. So they've got to get the running game figured out. And one last thing, Taylor, before we get to love it or leave it, Big love to Keontae Ingram because on a day where the offensive line was struggling with communication and Rashawn Johnson was struggling to get yards, although he got some really good tough yards, including a, a fourth and one uh, late in the game on a field goal drive, Keontae Ingram averaged 7.4 yards per carry and had a couple nice receptions as well. He's starting to look like the Keontae Ingram that, we thought we would see coming out of high school as the number one running back recruit in the state of Texas. And he's shown us flashes, mm -hmm. but that was a, that was a tough game and he was making something out of nothing. Texas tech's front is actually pretty good. And they stuffed Houston Baptist held him to 28 yards on 24 carries. And they, they gave Texas problems, but not Keontae Ingram. He was patient. He made some big runs, average 7.4 carry, might need to get him some more carries. He was the hot hand, and, and he, had, he had 16 carries, and Rashawn Johnson had 12. So might need to give a few more to Keontae if he's, if he's able to keep it going like that. Didn't he have a big run against uh, TCU last year before he got injured? Wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, you I might was, uh, like the, you might have something there, my friend. Let me uh, let me do a quick check here, and uh, I think he had like the longest like run, and then he it was I think it was before halftime, and then he never. Or am I thinking of Baylor? I may be thinking of Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. 
Baylor is right before it. halftime. Right. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking. So I was going to say, well, maybe, you know, repeat. Ride. But no, yeah, that was the wrong one. You know, Chip. Well, yeah. Yeah, with uh, it that's a good point you brought up about the sacks too. I mean, that was one of the biggest things about Todd Orlando's three man front is they wanted to shift to the four down front, you know, on defense, and it was to get more pressure and to to hit the quarterback and get more sacks. And as it currently stands, Texas is ninth in the Big Twelve in sacks. Um, the only team that has fewer sacks in Texas is Kansas. And they're ranked 53rd in the country. However, there's 67 uh, rank or teams currently in that mix. And 53rd means that Texas is among the worst in college football right now in the amount of sacks. So when you're playing, I, I you know, it's one thing if you're playing, you know, a conference team, you can't expect, you expect them to have at least some similar type of level of talent to when you're, you know, protecting the quarterback. But, you know, UTEP, it's the only sacks, right? That Texas has gotten. So right. that's a, uh, that's not, that that's not progress in my mind. If what Chris Ash was supposed to be bringing to Texas with this revamped Texas defense out of a four man front, we haven't seen it yet. And, you know, for somebody who is Harold is one of the best defensive coordinators in college football right now, one of the best coordinator hires this past off season, it's time to, to show this, um, and they didn't show it against Texas Tech, so that's something I think uh, you were definitely spot on in watching that one. Well, and Texas Tech has one of the better offensive lines in uh, in the Big Twelve, but still, you got to find ways to get pressure. You got two good of athletes up front, and Alfred Collins sure looks disruptive. And again, Joseph Osai got there, broke up a couple of passes by hitting Alan Bowman, but he they've got to increase the pressure. Uh, tremendously. Yeah, it didn't uh, rattle Alan Bowman much. Right. That's right. the whole reason you get after the quarterback to get them off their game, and that didn't seem to be the case, and consistently at least against Texas Tech. That's right. All right. Well, uh, Taylor, is it time? Is it time for everybody's favorite part of the show? I think it is, Chip. All right. We're going to bring in Love It or Leave It here. Um, I'm going to pose some statements to you, Chip, if you agree. Love it. If you disagree, you leave it. One of these days, I'll stop introing this because I feel like if you listen to the flagship, you already know what this is. But right. I digress. All right. So for our first Love It or Leave It this week, Chip, Love It or Leave It, the heavy rotation in the secondary hurt Texas against Texas Tech. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love this. Um, and I'm going to just come right out and say it. Don't take my man Chris Brown off the field. This is the best safety on the team. And I'm, look, he's the one who's the vocal leader. He's the one who backs up his talk with his play, had a huge interception in this game. And they rotated BJ Foster for Chris Brown and also rotated him for Caden Stern. So sometimes Chris Brown was in there with Caden Stern. Sometimes he was in there with BJ Foster. Sometimes Caden was the free safety and BJ was the strong safety. And I felt like that, even though B.J. Foster had several, I think he led the team in tackles, he also had a huge missed tackle near the goal line at about the 10, where he was one-on-one with um, either uh, Kashawn Carter, I think. And he whiffed. Like, he didn't try to wrap up at all. He tried to throw a shoulder, and he whiffed. And it should have been, if he'd have tried to wrap up, 
just extended his arms, he would have tripped the guy and held him at the 10. Instead, it turns into a 22-yard catch-and-run touchdown. You also had Anthony Cook rotating in for Chris Adamora. Adamora actually had a really good game in this game. He, he over-pursued some things against UTEP. Adamore was really good. He had the big interception uh, that should have been a return for a touchdown, but his, his convoy didn't look to the left and see big 50, the offensive lineman who ran all the way down the field and tackled Chris Adamore. They did end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. But Anthony Cook came in for, for Chris Adamore quite a bit, and Jalen Green came in quite a bit as well, uh, rotating with Josh Thompson and Deshaun Jameson. So I, I do think that it hurt them. Taylor, because I, I don't think the communication was as sharp. When they play Chris Brown with Caden Stearns and Chris Adamora and Deshaun and Josh Thompson, that's their best defense. That's the defense that was on the field when they had to have a stop late in the game. And I felt like there were some miscommunications at times when the others were in. And that's not that that's on Chris Ash. I mean, he's got to get that thing all polished up because those are veteran players. Mm -hmm. They should all know the calls. They should all be comfortable and able to execute the defense. Or maybe they had it right when they didn't play B.J. Foster in the opener. We'll see. I like B.J. Foster. Don't get me wrong. But from a technique standpoint and attention to detail standpoint, Chris Brown is their best safety. And I don't think you can take him off the field, Taylor. Yeah. I'm I'm also going to uh... – love this one chip you know I think I mean Jalen Green coming in I felt like was more of a a little bit more of a matchup uh better you know just from measurable standpoint since he's a little bit bigger of a corner than Deshaun Jameson at least when he for came sure. in for there um I think Deshaun Jameson's what 5'10 I think Jalen Green's like 6'1 and, or something and got overpowered a couple times yeah he, yeah see yeah exactly so I thought that you know that was one I I I could see that um but you know one thing that you mentioned this to Tom Herman on his press conference earlier in the week. You had mentioned, you know, um, Todd Orlando was concerned about rotating too much in the secondary when he was a defensive coordinator at Texas. You asked Tom Herman if that's a legitimate concern, and Tom kind of blew it off a little bit. But you're sitting there kind of like, well, maybe maybe it is a legitimate concern, and, and that's a little bit more worrisome than Todd Orlando not really wanting to rotate much last season when there weren't veteran players in the secondary available readily available and um so yeah i agree i think that there's there was some type of i don't know if it and again it could be the first you know road game jitters something like that can't really blame the atmosphere um you know how i feel about that i feel like elite teams don't need to unless the atmosphere is absolutely destroying their communication or something elite teams don't have to get up or down for games um based off of the crowd but I agree. You know, I think that there was some sort of mis I don't know if mis miscommunication is the right word, but some sort of um, issues, I would say, in the rotation and just the play in the secondary. And you kind of wonder if it is the rotation that was the issue. So I'm going to agree with you on that one. Yeah, because think about this, Taylor. Texas's defense gave up 11 explosive plays. Those are runs of 10 yards or passes of 15 yards or more. And six of the 11 went for touchdowns four through the air two on the ground a 10 yard run for a touchdown and the 75 yarder for a touchdown so i mean this was this was a completely upside down situation for the texas defense it's one thing to give up big plays 
and stop the offense and hold them to a field goal. It's another thing to give up big plays and have them more than half of them go for touchdowns. Right. Yeah. Last season they gave up the knock was always Texas gave up so many big plays, but a lot of times, I mean, the LSU, you know, game starting off, they started off going, giving up a huge play, but they at least held them at some point to a field goal and not to touchdown. So yeah, I mean, that's, uh, welcome to the big 12 <laughs> Chris Ash and company, because clearly, you know, the offenses in this league are, they're elite for a reason. They lead college football for a reason. You may say it's because the big 12 is bad defense or, I mean, they do this to other conferences when they play them too. So I think, uh, it'll be interesting. I think to see Chris Ash and the defensive staff rebound a little bit since this was their first game against a big 12 style of offense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what do we got next? All right, Chip. Love it or leave it. Texas is rolling with a wide receiver by committee approach. Yeah, I'm going to love this. And um, it's it's been one thing or another, right? I mean, Jake Smith is coming back after missing the first two games, with a, one with a hamstring, one with illness. Jordan Whittington's still out with the, the recovery from the knee scope. Uh, probably going to be Baylor before he gets back October 24th. There's a slim outside chance that it would be OU, but that's slim. And then Tariq Black was in the doghouse for the Texas Tech game and barely played, got in a couple snaps, played a little on special teams. So you had Brennan Eagles back at, at the front of the of the line at the X receiver position, and and he came through big time. I mean, that hopefully for Texas's sake, for Brendan Eagle's sake, for everybody's sake, who's all about the burnt orange, Brendan Eagle's got a taste of being counted on again and, and will will rise up and, and deliver the attention to detail and accountability that Andre Coleman is asking of him. And because he's special. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's big, he has strong, the potential fast. to be. Yeah. Right, potential to be, for sure. We haven't and, seen it yet, and everyone's waiting for it. But right, yeah. he gives you those glimpses, like he did in the in the Tech game, and then Brendan Schooler. Look, this guy has come in, and in two weeks, he's learned that slot position. He's earned Sam Ellinger's trust. He's Sam. I mean, Tom Herman went on and on about his work ethic. If you're a young receiver, watch how this guy works, and he's he's a guy that they absolutely have needed because of the depth. And when Jake Smith comes back, that should be a nice rotation and Josh Moore obviously is establishing himself as the answer at the Z receiver position another big game for him so I think we're going to see it by committee and as we get Jake Smith back in this thing let's see how much juice he brings to the to the field because I did think there was one over the shoulder pass to Brennan Schooler it was a great pass by Sam it was only where he could catch it in the end zone and it went through schoolers hands. It would have been a great catch, but it's a catch Jake Smith made late in the year uh, against Texas tech in Austin last year. So let's see if Jake Smith is polished. Cause remember this was one of Jake Smith's worst games against TCU. He muffed a punt. He dropped a pass that probably would have gone for a touchdown. That was when he was hitting the wall. That was when Brennan Eagles went off and I think was questioning this guy's making a lot of mistakes. Why is he still playing so much? Yeah, he no-showed to practice leading up to the TCU game last year. The coach no-showed, right. And, and they needed him in the TCU game, and he wasn't there. So 
this is a game where the receivers really had a bad game last year. Let's see if they can turn that completely around because Texas, Sam Ellinger is going to need those guys to make some plays. Yes. And he didn't have the, the consistency last year or the, you know, the, obviously Devin Duvernay was one situation, but like, as you mentioned, I mean, wasn't, I think TC was the game that Cade Brewer was injured Um, early in the third quarter. Yeah. And so that was the game. Ryan Buschewski, I think was injured too. I mean, it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. Last season. So um, yeah. And I I just got to say this with Brendan Schooler, uh, he's went to my high school, so I think Mission it, Viejo, it's Viejo, baby. Yep, the MV uh, representing there. So, <laughs> but I, I mean, I love that story. You know, I mean, just the fact that he was the lead, the team's leading receiver, I believe, against Texas Tech. Um, he's only been in Austin for maybe a month now. I guess a little bit longer than a month, maybe at this point. So, and there uh, was his brother Colin on the other side. Mm-hmm. Also with the long hair, but his is brown. Brendan is is the blondie. Looks like sunshine from uh, from you know. Remember the Titans, but he uh, yeah, that was cool. I mean, for the Schooler family, what a what a crazy situation. They never would have expected that one of their sons would be at Texas and the other at Texas Tech when they both started the year at Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I am going to love this. I feel like this is a good um, rotation, at least at this point. Obviously, you want guys to be able to get into some type of consistent rhythm, but that's I feel like a little bit more um, important if you're like a running back, you know, more so than a receiver. I think Texas, you know, with the the one thing that everybody is or that Tom Herman and everybody said leading up to the season that Mike Yurcich really did bring was simplifying the playbook and then also increasing the tempo. And when you go as fast as Texas, the Texas offense does, plus, you know, other teams in the conference, it's good to have, you know, some uh, different personnel coming in to where defenses are going to be questioning who is the personnel in the game. So um, it'll be different, obviously, because under Tom Herman, there's always kind of been that one guy, you know, at receiver. Well, at least for the last two years was always that one guy. Um, and who knows? Maybe, the slot. Yeah. I was going to say, who knows? Maybe it's Jake. Maybe it's Jake Smith. Maybe this emerges as something to watch moving forward. We don't know because we haven't seen Jake Smith in that starting slot role. Um, but at, at least at this point, you know, it seems that the receiver rotation is working. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. What, uh, what well, else we got? All right. So uh, after Texas has dropped five of the last six games to TCU, including last year's embarrassment of a loss where Sam Ellinger threw four interceptions, love it or leave it. Sam Ellinger gets revenge against TCU this weekend. I'm going to love this um, and in part because I think that Mike Yurcich knows what it's like to go up against Gary Patterson having been at Oklahoma State. And I think having Sam Ellinger, the veteran, this is the game where they settle down. And I'm not saying they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, They may have to employ Sam in the running game more and that's that's not uh, that's not great, especially yeah. uh, when you thought you were going to have all this ability to to stretch the field and then have the safeties back so that you can run it. And Texas struggled, obviously, with that last week. So I'm not expecting miracles there, but I, I do think Sam Ellinger and I think the Texas defense rises up, plays a much better game. And this game is played, you know, in the 20s 
But I think Texas gets it. I think Texas gets the win. Maybe a little closer than people think, but any win against TCU lately, having lost five of six, as you mentioned, you'll take it. And then it's OU. So this week, survive in advance. I'm going to love this. I think Texas gets revenge. Sam Ellinger bounces back from that four interception game in Fort Worth last year. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine Sam Ellinger having one of those games, honestly, at this point again. Um, it was a little surprising, actually, last year when that happened, because it was kind of like, whoa, like, you know, we hardly saw that as a, in his true sophomore season, um, aside from the Maryland game. But yeah, you know, I think if with what Tom Herman said about Sam Ellinger being how confident he was against Texas Tech, you know, Chip, you and I mentioned this a little bit in our uh, flagship reacts podcast that um, ran Sunday uh, afternoon coming off of the Texas Tech game, you know, um, it's just there's a type of confidence that Sam Ellinger brings, you know, and it's hard to kind of uh, ignore it. And I think last year, as we mentioned earlier in the week against Iowa State, you know, Texas took the ball out of his hands when he had that confidence, when he had the option or, you know, the, the potential to possibly put it away and win the game on the road against Iowa State last year. And then Tom Herman you know, called three run plays or, you know, uh, ran the ball and then basically took the ball out of Sam Ellinger's hands. Um, I think Tom learned not to do that. And it was shown, I think, against Texas Tech. So when you see that type of progression from a quarterback, it's hard for me to think that Sam's going to not have some sort of chip on his shoulder going into this game against TCU, especially with how horrible that performance was against uh, the Horn Frogs last season. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Final one What's here. You ready final for this? one. Alrighty. So after losing, we're going to, we're going to touch on the Sooners here a little bit. After losing to Kansas state at home last weekend, Oklahoma will bounce, will bounce back this weekend on the road against Iowa state. All right. I cannot go back on my prediction now. Yes. I mean, this was my big 12 upset of the year. Iowa state over OU in Ames. And remember, Iowa State beat OU in Norman two, two, well, um, three years ago. Yeah, three years ago with Kyle Kemp, and then should have won last year. They were throwing for a two point conversion uh, to win it and, and lost the game 42 41. So I'm going to stick with my Iowa State upset. This is a problem for Spencer Rattler going up against John Haycock in Ames. I know Kyle Purdy has not been good. And he threw a absolutely, are you kidding me, interception against TCU where he's being sacked and he still tries to throw the ball, ends up throwing it backward where a TCU defender who missed him on a sack was able to catch the ball and run it in for a touchdown. Kyle Purdy's not playing well, but I think OU has bigger problems. Uh, and if Iowa State can keep this one close, and I think their defense is good enough to do that, I think Spencer Rattler will press again and make a mistake, and Iowa State pulls off the upset. Okay. Brock Purdy, right, you mean? Sorry, Brock. I always call him Kyle. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> Brock Purdy. Yes. I mean, you Brock, called it don't early. don't call him Kyle Purdy. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I mean, the names aren't even close. I'm just kind of curious where Kyle came I know. There's a K in there. That's all I got. Brock, uh, Kyle, Brock, uh, Kyle. Kyle. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, Lincoln Riley hasn't lost two games or two conference games since he became a head coach, Chip. He actually, Chris Kleiman, the uh, Kansas, excuse me, Kansas State's win over Oklahoma last weekend is marks the first coach to ever beat Lincoln Riley as a head coach twice, um, whether it was back-to-back games or just in general. I mean, Lincoln Riley, that was the first time where any coach has beaten him twice, let alone in back-to-back years. It's hard for me to imagine that Lincoln Riley is going to allow this team to really, you know, let this the loss against Kansas State beat them twice. I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to give I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, I think, to Lincoln Riley, knowing that he's yet to lose two conference games as a head coach. So, um, but I don't think it's going to be easy, and I would be very, I would not be very surprised if my prediction ends up being wrong. I'll say that. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we appreciate everybody uh, taking some time for us. And hey, if you're enjoying the flagship podcast, please, all we ask is that you head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Um, Just, you know, we're here for you. We're coachable. Uh, And so thanks to everyone for listening and be sure to listen uh, for the flagship podcast interview we'll talk to brian estridge the voice of the tcu horn frogs who does a great job uh, in dallas on wbap in the mornings as well and we'll get his thoughts he's always very candid about what's going on with tcu make sure you listen for that edition of the flagship podcast as well and taylor uh for the lovely taylor estes i am chip brown uh, we thank you so much for listening and everybody stay safe and keep the faith